trying out a uh, a new opening there. Is there a, is there a history to that track? Uh, yes, a friend of mine's plays a Indian instrument called the gamelan. Ooh! Uh, if if you look it up, you'll see that it, generally speaking, takes up an entire room. Okay. It's all kinds of uh, bangs and clings and bangs and things like. And we were we were we were doing something, and I was playing the guitar and. And, and all that stuff. And she's like, let me play the gamelan. And she just started banging on the gamelan. And I realized, you know what? No matter how you hit a gamelan, it sounds pretty good. Wow. <laughs> so you just hit it. Hit it anywhere. Hit it anytime. Nice. And I'll keep up. It's kind of fun. I dig that thing. How do you say, I'm I'm, I'm looking at uh, Deadpool 2. You know, yeah. 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 And, uh, Which is fun. Oh, a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. I, to me, I love it. What I love about it is, is, is Domino. Domino is my she favorite is character. She is so sensational. I think uh, her name is Zazie Beats. She is. The actress. She steals the movie from steals him. Steals the movie. She steals the movie. And we won't give anything away, but it is, it is her superpower that is a riot when it is first introduced. Yeah. Because you're laughing. You're like, whatever. That sounds... And it turns out it's a thing. Oh, it's the best superpower <laughs> you could possibly best have thing in the world. No, it's it, because the setup is so great uh, and the payoff is so great, and it's just uh, whoever thought that up is she? Is she even a character from the comics, or did they just make no, her up for the movie? I, I, it, I, to be honest, I have no idea. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. But she well, is a. She is. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. We're 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 uh, transparent here on that's this. That's my that's my editor, Johnny. Uh, who does a lot of work for me? Oh, good. Giving me a call. She's um she's a regular on ATL. Uh, Donald yeah, Glover that show. I knew. ATL. That I knew. Uh, plays his, his uh, you know on again off again sort of girlfriend on that show, which is where I know her from uh, mostly. Uh, but she's just fantastic she's in this so movie. Good. You know, a lot of people are fantastic in that movie. It's a really really fun movie. Um, it, is, it, so, it, yeah. it is. It is, and it's uh, clearly they timed it because this is Fox. You know, this is one of Fox's uh, X Men related mm -hmm. Marvel franchises that they get to keep doing as long as they keep doing them. And uh, so they, there's a very uh, there's some very cute little uh, little sideways digs at Infinity War because Josh Brolin's in both of them. Yeah. So it's, and Logan and yeah, yeah. neat movie. They have a lot of fun with it. Mm. So uh, Tim, I. <laughs> I, Wade Major, got all the answers to the, the oppo situation. Ah. I worked it out. So I talked to our longtime guy over there who has been so good to us over the years. And, uh, and here is the interesting story. Folks, you are going to hear it now for the first time. Nobody else has the down low on this. Not the digital bits, not Blu-ray.com, nobody. I've talked to them. I've got the, hit, I got the whole low down. Mm. And it goes like this. A few years ago, disc sale, uh, sales of disc players were starting to plateau and even drop. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing was changing a few years ago as people were moving to you know o OTT and streaming and all this other stuff. So uh, it, along with the, the drop in, in uh, DVD sales went a drop in DVD player sales. So the only thing still working there is Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, 4K Blu-ray, UHD Blu-ray is the, is the next level, which is a very boutique right now. There are only a handful of companies that are making 4K players, and they aren't selling a ton of them because people who already have Blu-ray players or invested in Blu-ray really don't see the point. Yeah. There aren't enough titles, and we got three amazing ones today, including a giveaway. Just like last week, we did a giveaway of uh, the 4K for Private Ryan. So uh, Oppo saw basically the writing on the wall, and tried to introduce a whole lot of new products that were not related exclusively to disc players, which included, you know, these really cool studio headphones yeah. and, and other technology. They were trying to branch out into, into other technologies. 
none of which particularly really caught on to the degree that it needed to in order to replace what was their core business, which is players. Just players, yeah. I mean, they make players. They're not like Sony. They're not like Panasonic. They're not like Samsung or LG where they make, you Washers know, and dryers. Washers and dryers yeah. and televisions and everything else. You know, they make players. It's all they make. So they saw the writing on the wall, started to develop a bunch of other products, and those didn't really catch catch fire. And so what they've what the what the the assessment now is okay, um, we we have uh, we're gonna we're gonna pull the plug while we still have a pile of cash. Um, they disc sa- disc player sales are not going to increase again. There's not going to be a new Holy Grail. 4K is not going to save us. Mm. So we're going to suspend all development. We're going to suspend all manufacture. We're not going to do this anymore. We have a pile of cash in the bank. And for the time being, we're going to dedicate that cash to supporting the players and the users that we have, our installed user base. We're going to support them. We're going to support those players. We have spare parts. We're going we're gonna to basically make this right for the people who've been relying on us as opposed to just you know saying, goodbye, we're done. We want the warranties to be valid. We want people to be able to repair and support these units. So we're going to pour our, our, our resources into making sure that we're doing right by people who currently own players. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're also going to take that time to rethink who we are as a company and reinv- reinvent ourselves and in a year or two or three we will come out of it as a different company focused on something else. Mm-hmm. So Oppo will become a different company eventually. The company's not in danger of going away. They have a lot of cash reserves. And we are all, those of us who own players, are going to be the beneficiaries of those cash reserves for the time being mm. while they sort of figure out a, you know, a new way to go forward. They're a technology company. They'll come up with something. I thought that was interesting, mm-hmm. right? We're going we're gonna to turn ourselves into something else. And who knows what that will be? Who knows, who knows what what, be? what what even what medium it will be? Look, they they don't want to they don't want to be end up being like uh, all those laser disc yeah uh, companies all those exactly those, or Betamax yes uh, you know it, right it, that's no good that's no good uh, um, a little so, forethought is what and, they're doing yeah which I think is interesting I've never you know heard of that before so my next question to him was well that's great so uh, I love I love the is this Happy Texas or is it something else what is that. This movie. We're watching, we're watching movies in the background. Yeah, anyway. that, that might be the movies. Show. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. It is. It looked like mm-hmm. Happy Texas for a moment. The chain gang. Ah, forty-eight through. hours. There you go. Forty-eight, 48 hours. hours. Fantastic. The, the, the break from forty-eight hours. Yeah. There's James Remar. <laughs> when he, back when he was just the most evil. I guess he still is. Uh, so anyway, the chain. That's the. I associate chain gangs with Happy Texas. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. Uh, which is not the original opening to the movie. No. They reshot that. Anyway. Uh, enough with dumb stories. So here's the here's the other thing. My next question to him was, okay, so um, what's going to happen then to the technology eventually? I mean, uh, it's great technology. You're not going to make any more players, but they're still the best players out there. And he said, well, uh, we are in talks with suitors who want to buy our disc player technology. Mm-hmm. And it's not something they can talk about. There are no deals yet. They're just talking to people. So... Uh, the implication is that uh, that when Oppo reinvented itself as something else and when they stopped supporting the players, somebody else is going to inherit their player technology. And that's not, you know, for example, when Pioneer stopped making elite televisions, they sold it to Sharp. Mm-hmm. And Sharp started distributing the elite series. So these technologies don't go away. Somebody will buy it. And so, then, of course, when you think about it in terms of base technology, yeah. what their technology is, right? The technology... 
which we they were using the, you know to make uh, 4K uh, uh, the display players, players right mm -hmm. the technology is actually just laser reading and writing technology yeah the base technology That's is it. about lasers yeah. and what lasers can do yeah uh, which means that it really doesn't have to have anything whatsoever to do with movies or anything. that 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 fundamental technology might be used in uh, satellites oh yeah uh, or, 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 you know, uh, particularly space-based satellites yeah. for or directional. So, you know, who it, knows? It, I mean, the technology inside a disc player is shockingly simple. Yeah. It's all, it's, you know, uh, apart from all the bells and whistles that, that people associate with it, it's really just a, pro, a, a chip and a laser. And a laser, yeah. It, and it's just about how you program that chip to interpret and interpolate the data that the laser read. feeds through it. Yeah. That's it. That's it's it. Really, yeah. yeah, yeah. The more focused your labor, uh, your, your laser, the more, yeah. the more densely packed the information on yeah. whatever the medium is. That's all that's really that's going on. So with that, uh, we're going to, uh, there's really no other great news coming. There's stuff coming out of Cannes. There's some interesting news coming out of Cannes. Lars. Uh, um, uh, Lars. Who's <laughs> back in, who's at least there after, when, when seven did they years. Seven, seven it was seven years, years ago, seven years ago when, when, he, when he, you know, I'm sorry. He's not there for 10 minutes and he's already screwing Lar up. Lars von Trier is out of his mind. <laughs> he just, he's really out of his mind. I liked his first couple of films and then he just, he just went south. Dogma and all the rest of this stuff was insane. And you know, Nymphomaniac, and uh, I and, and Antichrist, and oh, that was know, that was the, tough. The, the famous Dogville story when uh, you know the story when Russell Crowe went to visit uh, Nicole Kidman on the set of uh, Dogville, the set of Dogville, which was just a big black stage with uh, like with tape. chalk or tape, tape something yeah. around it. Yeah, no, tell and, story. well, Russell Crowe went to visit her, and he thought, oh, this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna go see what uh, Lars von Trier is doing with Nicole, and because they're friends, going all the way back to Australia, yeah. you know, before either of them were stars, they were they were pals. <laughs> and Crow opens, he walks onto the set and he just sees nothing <laughs> and people in costumes. And he's and uh, the the first words out of his mouth were in that sweet New Zealand Aussie accent of his uh, was, uh, "What the bleep is going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you've met Russell Crowe, you understand that that's the most. That's that's him being charming. Oh yeah. Uh, that's just the the way that. Can he you is. imagine? Can you imagine Master and Commander being being directed by Lars von Trier uh, on a stage with tape? He would not survive. And Crow would have Russell with nothing but the hat. Russ would have strangled him. Uh, uh, and I'll but, that, talk, but that's you know con. And know. we'll talk more about Russ later because it it relates mm. to something. But anyway, uh, yeah, the the thing that I'm really keyed on the, the house that Jack built his his serial killer movie apparently is just gory and grotesque and horrible and like uh, you know art house giallo. Uh, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Although I I must say that at this point you know twenty twenty plus years hence yeah it does sort of surprise me that that people keep getting surprised. Uh, every, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, yeah. it's Lars. Why are we? Uh, of course it is. Uh, look, seven years is. ago he got himself banned for 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 saying for that Hitler thing. Well, he he was saying like I can empathize. I can empathize with Hitler. I'm I'm a little bit Nazi. You know, he had all these dumb things. That he, and and you know, it just uh, Justin wrote a really great piece for the LA Times because Justin, our friend Justin Shang is over there reporting for the LA Times and reviewing stuff. And um, and Justin, Justin was really blunt. He said, uh, I'm, not, I'm just not going to mince words here. Uh, Lars von Trier is a stupid, arrogant troll. <laughs> and, and it really is. It's just that's what he's been doing for the longest time. And he thinks he's so, so naughty. Uh, here's the film I'm really looking forward to. It, uh, it got picked up by Sony Classics before the festival. Mm. 
They screened it last night, got a 15-minute standing ovation. Mm. The third film from Nadine Labaki. Now, Nadine Labaki is the uh, Lebanese filmmaker uh, who has been kind of on the cusp for a number of, of years. She's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, her, her first film, which was... Um, uh, what was it? What, what's the name of the, the first film? Uh, 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 where, where do we go now? Uh, uh, no, Where Do We Go Now was the last one. Her first film, which is set in the, in the, in the, uh, the hair uh, salon in Beirut. Uh, what was that called? I'm going to get it here. It's, it's, a, it's a food name. It's a food name. Bear with me. Hold on. Anyway, uh, I'll find it here in a moment. Her new film is Capernaum. And uh, it's about a kid who oh. who sues his parents to uh, for some kind of you know that takes legal proceedings against his parents of some kind. Uh, I know nothing else about it, but it got a 15 minute standing ovation. And uh, you know she's Lebanese filmmaker. She's fantastic. She's unbelievably talented. On top of that, she's young and gorgeous. She's got it all going for her. And she's one of only three women with a film in the competition. People are now calling this the Balm d'Or front runner, mm. and that would make her uh, only the, the first woman since Jane Campion to win. And I was there when Jane Campion won, and yeah. that was just that was such a momentous moment. People were just, you know, I mean, it was a co-winner. So if she wins, she'd be the first like straight up. Uh, soul oh, Carmel, Carmel, Carmel. What About the women in that salon. In the salon, yes, it's such an amazing movie. Uh, it's just so beautiful. Uh, so anyway, yes. So Nadine Labaki, um, and she was an actress before too. You know, she's uh, she, she she knows what she's doing. So yes. So uh, she did Carmel, and then Where Do We Go Now? And they are both great. Yeah, and, Where Do We Go Now? Anyway, yeah. And this new one is Capernaum, and uh, apparently it's just phenomenal. And Sony's got it for the uh, for award season later this year, and uh, it's almost certain Oscar nominee. So. Let's see where it goes. But right now, not having seen the film, but being a huge fan of Nadine Labaki. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Arabic language cinema as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think uh, I think it needs it needs that. It's going to be good for the region. It'll be good for movies. It'll be great for Cannes if she wins. And I cannot wait to see the film. So, yeah. Uh, Arabic, Arabic language uh, cinema very often uh, bases its stories uh, around children. Yeah, uh, because it's it's necessary if we're all also well, it, it gets you past censors yeah. in a lot of those countries yeah, and, too, and, yeah. and many of those uh, all, all the, the turtles uh, uh, turtles can fly and all these yeah. beautiful films yeah. and uh, many of them starred all these wonderful children. Uh, they're so poignant and yeah. so sweet. Um, of course, uh, also out of, out of, uh, Spike Lee's film, uh, yes, uh, Black Clansman, Black uh, which the, sounds really interesting. Well, the the trailer, uh, you know, I, I popped on and looked at the, oh, loosely based knew, on the true no, story. I knew nothing, I knew nothing about it. About it. Yeah. Uh, loosely based on the true story, something that happened in the, I guess, maybe late 70s. I think it was literally yeah. 1979. Yeah. This black cop <clears throat> went undercover on the phone yeah. uh, as a white guy who wanted to join the clan, the clan, David Duke's clan. I remember, and David Duke was a guy when yeah. I was growing up. You know, David yeah. Duke down there ran for the Senate and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, and uh, but whenever uh, you know he had to actually appear in person, he had a, a, another white cop actually do all the person. But he played. The, and, this, and I'm looking at this trailer, and this is just cracking me up. I'm, it's killing me. It's a great idea. Uh, you, the guys there in the within the anyone the a great Afro story. Are, and uh, Denzel Washington's son. Yeah. is playing that lead yeah. there, uh, which is a you know sort of interesting sort of thing too. And Adam Driver, of course, and 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 and, and it, what it just seems very very funny. And I imagine it gets all the point. And then, of course, Spike had his little moment 
at yeah. know, where he went on his, his tirade there. Uh, uh, and, you know, and again, that's the thing. Just like Lars, right? What did you expect when you put that microphone in front of, in front of him? Of yeah. course he is. Well, it's, here's the thing about Can, too. Uh, Spike and Spike and uh, Lars are the only two people who have ever thrown a tantrum at Can for not winning the Palm d'Or, <laughs> declaring that they would not come back because they didn't get the award that they deserved. Now, uh, and I can't remember what it was with Spike. I can't remember what film it was. You know, Forty Eight Hours or, or uh, 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 Twenty uh, uh, Fifth Hour. Twenty Fifth Hour. Yeah. I think it might have been something like that. And uh, and with Lars, I can't remember what it was. Um. But the Dancer in the Dark, it, it might have been yeah. Dancer in the Dark was the one that won it. I oh, think. that's the one that won it. Yeah, that's okay, the one yeah, that won yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so in any case, the the they're the only two that threw tantrums for awards that, that they thought they deserved. Now here's the thing: Can is has been for the better part of its history, which is now, gosh, what are we on? Seventy years or something of Can. Uh, Can is. It's a showcase. It's where starlets go and take their clothes off on the beach and they are mobbed by paparazzi. Yeah. Uh, it's where people say and do outrageous things just to get attention because the eyes of Europe are there. And it's, the eyes of, it's Fellini's eight and a half. It's, it's Boom, Fellini's there it is. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so people do and say crazy things because they know it's good PR while they're there. Case in point, L- L- Lars... Did his dumb thing. He made a stupid movie that people hate, and I guess he got publicity out of it. Spike put a microphone in front of that man's face. Yeah, he's gonna use it, yep. and he knows how. But you know who took the cake yesterday? Yeah, freaking Gadar. Um, okay, who is in competition? Is the oldest person in competition in history? He's eighty something now. And the film apparently is another one of these freeform you know, praise like, of love. Just he he just took a bunch of footage that he shot and others had shot and stuff he'd taped off the news and what knows and he just threw a bunch of music down on some tracks and just cut a bunch of random images and people are supposed to sit there for two hours and try to make <laughs> sense of it. It's all just freeform stream of consciousness nonsense. Do you know how he conducted the press conference? Yeah. What is back to them? Vive la vie. Worse. <laughs> Via phone. Oh, really? They put a cell phone on a table, <laughs> and there is Godard's little face on the tiny phone talking to the room full of press. What a dick. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, because he. You know he, what's he, funny? A friend of mine posted on a Facebook, and all he put, his only comment over the post was, turd. <laughs> he was kind of mean to uh, Anais. Uh, yes, and uh, and uh, and what uh, the, the boy she made yeah. the documentary yeah. with the yeah. faces places documentary. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and 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 he was kind of mean to them. He was yeah, kind of mean was. to the boy anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and she and, and she sort of you know uh, said Jr. That. Jr. Yeah, Jr. Jr. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and and he was disappointed. You know, that's a, you know never meet your heroes kind of thing. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I've been a fan. You know, like clinging to a, to a bit of fandom, uh, uh, probably unreasonably yeah. with respect to Jean Luc, but. You know, I guess you get to be a certain age. It can go one way or the other, and for him, it went ugly. It's just, it's madness. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we've rambled here. Let me, yeah. you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit off a few things that we've gotten from Naxos, and we've got some other really, really cool music titles, too. Uh, Naxos gave us a whole bunch of really sensational classic music stuff. Um, this is an Opus Arte DVD collection box set, An Evening with the Royal Ballet and the Royal Opera. This is wonderful. Uh, if you're a fan of ballet and a fan of opera, Excuse me, a fan of opera, you're going to love this. Uh, there are highlights here from everything. This is just a potpourri. Uh, it's all the greatest hit stuff. So you, you'll just love this. I mean, La Traviata and Don Giovanni and Falstaff and Hansel and Gretel. 
Um, and then on the Royal Ballet, you got Swan Lake and the Nutcracker and Romeo and Juliet and uh, tons of other great stuff. It's really, really wonderful. Um, I wouldn't recommend anybody just sit there and watch this top to bottom, but it, it just it it's just uh, it's just fun classical music stuff to put in the background. Uh, piano Crazy, a film from Jan O'Maya. Uh, this is from the uh, Husum Piano Festival 2016, and uh, it's it's a it is a German import, and it is uh, it is just absolutely it's 45 minutes. It's short. It's a DVD. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's just wonderful piano work. Um, if you're a piano aficionado, you'll, you know, not want this necessarily for the music, but for the performers, which, uh, is, you know, prime, the, the, the main performer here is Jonathan Plowright, who, again, I'm not that familiar with, but just beautiful craft. Uh, this I found to be really, really interesting. This is a Blu-ray, Ingmar Bergman through the choreographer's eye. Uh, this is, um, these are, these are Swedish choreographers Four of them specifically, Alexander Ekman, Par Isberg, Pontus Lindberg, and Joachim Stefansson, who are, they've created dance performances to honor Ingmar Bergman. They're sort of wow. doing an interpretation of Bergman through dance, which is really interesting. It's a lot more interesting than I think it, it probably sounds. Uh, if you know Bergman's films... Which are very thematic. Which are very thematic. Like if you know Autumn Sonata, you'll see that there's yeah. there's a ballet that is basically like an Autumn Sonata ballet. It's an interpretation of Autumn Sonata through ballet. It's fascinating. And it it, uh, it, it, it's, it funnels all of those themes that in his movies are primarily cinematic. It funnels them into interpretive dance, which is really, really interesting. This is a Blu-ray, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, I... I was so much more intrigued after watching it than uh, than just by reading the uh, the synopsis. Uh, Christian Thielemann, who's a terrific conductor with the Staatskapelle Dresden in Germany, uh, conducts Bruckner Symphony One on this Unitel and C major Blu-ray. Beautiful performance. Uh, I was listening to a lot of Bruckner on the radio last week, and uh, they were telling a lot of stuff about his life, and wow, is that interesting stuff. So Bruckner Symphony One. Uh, the Royal Opera uh, and Mozart's Cosi fan Tutte. Uh, on another Opus Arte, Royal Opera House, uh, with Corrine Winters, Angela Brower, Daniel Beale. Uh, this is directed by Jan Philipp Gloger. That's beautiful if you like Cosi Fan Tutte. I'm not a huge fan, but I get it. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is also really cool. If you're a fan of uh, Aaron Copeland, Copeland conducts Copeland, Benny Goodman, and the Los Angeles Philharmonic. This is uh, a Naxos from Naxos. And uh, really, really wonderful. This was made in 1976, and uh, it was ta- it per- performed at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion right down downtown here in Los Angeles, which I've been to many, many times, along with the Los Angeles Master Chorale and uh, Roger Wagner, who was the conductor at the time. This is not Benny Goodman like uh, old school Benny Goodman. Yeah, hey, no. This is a clar- this is a clarinetist named Benny Goodman, uh, and uh, they performed the fanfare for the Common Man, El Salón, Mexico. And the clarinet concerto, which is where Benny Goodman uh, does his amazing work, and there's also Hoedown from Rodeo, Sweet from Tenderland, really lovely. Uh, Copeland conducting Copeland here in Los Angeles in 1976, beautiful. That's on a Blu-ray. Then we also have Le Coq d'Or, otherwise known as the Golden Cockerel by Rimsky-Korsakov. That's also a Blu-ray with the La Monet Symphony Orchestra and Chorus, conducted by Alan Altinoglu, who I believe is Romanian. That's from Bel Air. Um, didn't really uh, get to watch a whole lot of that because we had to do the show. And then uh, here are the two that are super, super cool. 
The, this one is a CD box set, uh, but it happens to uh, have a bonus DVD included, which is why we're mentioning it here. Olivier Messiaen, the famous French uh, composer, and Catalogue d'Oiseaux uh, with uh, Pierre-Laurent Aymar. It's quite beautiful. Um, Aymar is one of the best pianists in the world, and this is all just really, really wonderful, romantic French piano work. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's it's a three CD set with a DVD and a lot of uh, a lot of liner note information. Beautiful music. Here's the mama of all mamas. This is something that classical music fans are going to want to go nuts for. It's DVD, not Blu-ray. It's box set. Bel Canto, the tenors of the '78 era. Mm. Back when the only way to listen to opera was on a '78 record. Mm. Okay, this is pre '33, pre '45. This is back, you know, like 1914 or whatever. When records first came around, people were listening to them on those, you know, gramophones. The big thing, yeah. The big horn. Um, that was when people first discovered opera, because otherwise, if you didn't go to an opera house, you were never going to hear it. And all of these great tenors were able to suddenly enable people all over the world to hear their their voices. Enrico Caruso being Caruso the yeah. being right at the top of the list, and uh, there were others too from all over the world. Caruso is the anchor of this. This is this is an amazing box set. Uh, you know, there's part one, part two, there's bonus, there's, there's a, just a sound, there, there's booklets in here. This is just a wonderful, wonderful collection. Uh, but there are others, John McCormack, mm. uh, Joseph Schmidt, Yossi Bjorling, uh, ben, Benjamino Gigli, Helge uh, Roswenga. I mean, the names that I never even heard of, but the voices are so beautiful. Uh, so, and, and, you know, the recordings are rough. This is, this is a raw recording era. There's a lot of, you know, background noise, and it's tinny and staticky at times. The recordings are very uneven, but it is beautiful. So um, well worth uh, picking this up. This is, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it, I mean, this is essentially, I, I should point out, this isn't just, there's a lot of new footage in here, too. These mm-hmm. are, this is, you know, kind of a, um, it's, a it's like a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an extensive documentary chronicle of, these guys and their work, but not just uh, the. It's same. not just. It's not just you know a bunch of audio and and you know thrown onto onto DVDs. This is all. This is looking at this era and and recompiling it in a really fascinating way, and it goes all the way from you know about World War One into the 1930s. So mm-hmm. once you're in the 30s, the sound starts to really pick up. You get better technology, but it's absolutely beautiful. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Bel Canto, the tenors of the 78 era. It's More beautiful. or less the beginning of professionally recorded music. Uh, not, 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 not long before that, yeah. the late 1890s yeah. or so, uh, cutting into those wax discs and whatnot, and fast-forwarding uh, in, 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 in terms of music yeah. and music documentary, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, in concert here. This is a neat one. This one um, aggregates performances, highlight performances from the 2014, 15, 16, and 17 induction ceremonies Nice uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was a pretty neat year. You know, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they just had the 2018, I think Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi was yeah. like the main sort of, you know. Uh, it's so weird uh, to me, Bon Jovi. Yeah, yeah Rock like and Roll old. Hall of Fame, you know, like, hey, man. Uh, and and, and I, I think Sister Rosetta Tharp uh, Sister Rosetta, you know who that wow. is? No. Sister Rosetta Tharp, black woman, uh, gospel music, 30s, 40s, and 50s, okay. right? Yeah. Sister Rosetta Tharp played a Les Paul Gibson like a bat out of hell. <laughs> I mean, could eat could eat B.B. King alive, Howlin' Wolf, You're all the great kidding. guitar players. Oh, yeah. sis, look up Sister Rosetta Tharp, just her playing and sang uh, while she played, but played 
that Gibson like a bat out of hell. I'm telling you, it's just gospel and gospel, guitar. Gospel and guitar. From my, she was about, you know, the sister was about 50 or 60. <laughs> big one, big mama, a big mama. Just, you, you never seen anything like oh, it. I'm, I'm, we're gonna, but after the show, I'm going to YouTube it. <laughs> She's going to YouTube it. That's great. This is a bunch of great performances on this. Bruce Springsteen uh, performed with the E Street Band. Uh, Pearl Jam performed. The surviving members of uh, uh, Nirvana performed with Lord. Actually, I guess that would be the surviving members of Pearl yeah. Jam because some of those guys are gone now too. Cat Stevens. So it was a really, really neat uh, year. Several years uh, all captured together here on this Blu-ray, the Rock and Roll Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in concert. Uh, you want me to do more? Let's, let's, let's uh, well, let me, oh, you know, let me I forgot not, about that guy. Yeah, let me, uh, let me hit some of these real quickly, too. Uh, we got some really, really uh, other great stuff here from, it's all Ed Sullivan Show stuff. Uh, the first two here are uh, Motown on the Ed Sullivan Show, the best of the Supremes on the Ed Sullivan Show, and the best of the Temptations on the Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, terrific. Absolutely terrific. I didn't realize that, uh, honestly, I didn't realize the Temptations were ever on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm. All I ever knew was the Beatles. <laughs> That's it. That's like, they, they, people play like the only time Ed Sullivan ever had music on the show is when the Beatles made their American debut. Uh, Temptations are terrific. Just so good. Uh, you know, and I still think, by the way, the TV movie, uh, of the Temptations is maybe the best TV made for TV movie in history. It's yeah. just such a great yeah. story. It's such a great movie. And then the Supremes just uh, absolutely killed it. Diana was, you know, at her very level best. Uh, this is wonderful stuff. And then we get a whole lot of Elvis, which is the other Ed Sullivan thing. And, and, and you know, the, uh, the thing with Ed Sullivan and Elvis was that they had to shoot him above the waist because he was gyrating in a way that was not appropriate for the youngins. So we got Elvis, the great performances, 40 songs on two DVDs, three hours of Elvis on Ed Sullivan. Uh, the complete Ed Sullivan show starring Elvis, which is the like all of everything that he ever did on the show, the complete shows, which includes everything. And uh, then we get uh, just Elvis, all his Ed Sullivan show performances. So um, there's a lot of overlap between these. Uh, I got confused as to what was and wasn't on which disc. I'm going to urge you to do a little bit of research into this. The, the, just, just make sure you understand that there are three different uh, titles here. Just Elvis, all his Ed Sullivan show performances. Elvis, the great performances, which is not complete shows. This is 40 songs and two DVDs and, you know, just a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff that was not on necessarily on the, uh, the Ed Sullivan show. There's a lot of other stuff, interviews with Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis and stuff like that. And then the three complete Ed Sullivan shows that had Elvis on them. Mm. So uh, those are the three. And then lastly, as we were saying, uh, the four complete Ed Sullivan shows starring the Beatles and other artists, including the original commercials, ah. which is a lot of fun. I enjoyed the commercials more than I enjoyed the Beatles. <laughs> it was a riot because, you know, no, we're from our sponsor. <laughs> if you liked it. Oh, it's hysterical. It's really, really funny. Uh, so, uh, but there's a lot of really great stuff in here. There's uh, even some bonus material. Uh, where there's an interview of Ed Sullivan uh, interviewing the Beatles uh, before Hard Day's Night in 1964, which is really fascinating. And what I really enjoyed was uh, the, um, the, the, the you know some of the other stuff that's non-Beatles related, like uh, Davy Jones mm. uh, and the original cast of Oliver. I didn't know Davy Jones was part of the original cast I of Oliver. I did not know that. On Broadway. Yeah, I mean, I Fantastic. think of Davy, I think of the Monkees, which is yeah. like the fake Beatles. Yeah, Davy Jones, Broadway, you know. Oliver. Uh, no figure. Uh, that's, I, I didn't know that. You know? Cab Calloway, Mitzi Gaynor, Georgia Brown, Soupy Sales. 
Uh, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. But here's the other thing that jumped out at me here. When the Beatles came on to Ed Sullivan February 9th, 1964, 73 million people watched that show. Mm. 73 million people. 1964, we 1964. were a nation with, I think, three major networks. I think the DuPont network had already gone away, if I'm not mistaken. And that, three and major networks. That is effectively... Half the country. Yeah, I was going to say, given the population of the country at the time, half you know, the country, a hundred million fewer people. Now, flash forward to all of the stuff that we have going on right now. Mm-hmm. In, in, I mean, there is so much product out there, and networks, and cable, and streaming, and things that you can do with your DVDs and your Blu-rays, and that, there's a lot going on. Back then, it was TV, like three networks and a movie mm-hmm. that may, might be playing down at the at the at the the one screen theater. Everything we got going on today. Cobra Kai and 20 million yeah. people. Yeah, Cobra Kai. Are you kidding me? The the what would it's not it's not a reboot, it's a continuation, it's a continuation of the continuation of Karate of the, Kid. Of the Karate Kid series, Cobra Kai. I would the same with Ralph and I thought that was the dumbest idea for a series and I thought YouTube you're stupid and, and on desperate. YouTube and on YouTube. YouTube red. You know, and there it is. They already ordered a second season. I can't even. So I'm I, over it. You know, I, I am too. All, all I'm doing is developing series, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to develop one every 20 minutes and throw it at YouTube. Yep. Uh, finish it up on the music yes. side. Uh, this wonderful uh, John Mellencamp uh, DVD set, Blu-ray uh, CD set, I should say. Yeah. Um, look, uh, I, I go back to with John Mellencamp to when his name was John Cougar. Yeah. He and he, I remember. He, he and I are both Midwest boys. Uh, 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 Mr. Mellencamp and I, and the thing that I always uh, thought was interesting about John Mellencamp, right? So you know, we we were coming up, uh, little, one of the little bands I was in, we would play all these Mellencamp songs, like right? yep. the, the '80s ones, uh, Cherry Bomb, Pink Houses, yep. Jack and Diane, all of those songs, right? And, and you know, sometimes we'd play these sets at you know places that were you know kind of black, yeah, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and and they'd be like, dude, what are you guys playing? <laughs> Playing these, I'm like, listen to the words of the song, dude. <laughs> listen to the words of these songs. John Cougar is with us, Holmes. Yeah. He, he's down with the people. And he always really was. And, 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 but, you know, we associate this sort of country rock. No, John Cougar was always something of a bit of a socialist, and a lot of that comes through. This is a spoken word kind of thing where he's playing music and talking and, yeah. and doling out little nuggets doing of wisdom, thing. doing his thing. You know, because, uh, you know, he's, he's clocking 70 now, you know, middle 60s he, anyway. He directed a movie, He directed too. a movie, some years ago, back yeah. in the day, he he really is uh, an, an activist and a sort of social commentator. He's an interesting guy. He's a renaissance man of a, of a certain era. Of a certain era. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and people have gotten him wrong. Look at some of his videos. I dare, I dare you to chalk up the video for Cherry Bomb, and I wonder if people will notice a couple of things about it. For one thing, if you look closely at that video all the way through, you're going to find Joey from Friends. Yeah. All right? Joey from Friends is in that video. And more importantly, if you look really... Uh, I'm sorry, that's... Um, uh, 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 what's his name? That's the... Um, oh, he passed away not too long ago. Uh, 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 oh, his name will come to me in a second. But if you look at that, that Cherry Bomb video, the way that video is constructed, John Cougar is singing, but the video is all actually playing out behind him, right? With that little couple yeah. in that yeah. place, the little interracial couple. Yeah, that's right. It was it, it, from like 1980-whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. that's John Cougar. So anyway, this is pretty neat, uh, the words and wisdom and singing of John Cougar. Lots of neat guests uh, show up for the concert, including uh, Carlene Carter and a few other folks. They sing all the classic songs and a few more, Trouble Man, Mints to Memory, Small Town, you, you, you name it, they knock them all out. Uh, John, Mel, uh, John Mellencamp, you know, he's fantastic. He's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, he is.
So let's uh, let's hit some docs. Uh, we got a little pile of docs here that's good to go through. Uh, I got we, we got some PBS stuff and some mm. other stuff. So first up, just want to throw out this: uh, Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. Um, this got a whole bunch of Emmy awards in uh, 2015. A lot of people love this thing. It is, I will say this, it's a very, very well-made documentary, and uh, there are even people in here that I know, like Jason Begay, oh, yeah. who I was in Jordan with last year yeah, uh, from uh, Chicago PD. Fantastic guy. I mean, I, I love Jason. It was just a good time. And he was one of the first to kind of exit Scientology at the time. Oh, yeah. I and love to hear him talk about Scientology. It, you know, it's really, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. He, uh, I, we, he, we had it with him. He cuts it to pieces. Uh, he, he, uh, now, I am not a big fan of, of you know, sort of attacking any, any faith system, however sort of fringy it might be. So that's not something I personally do. I kind of, you know, to each his own, everybody do your thing, whatever makes you happy. Um, but that said, as a documentary, this is extremely well done. It is very interesting. And uh, because they actually have people who came out of it uh, speaking about it, there is a there is an authenticity to it. It so, is very frank. They simply speak to what they experienced. And Alex Gibney is no slouch. He is yeah. not a propagandist. He's a, he's a real documentarian. He's not Michael Moore. He's not Michael Moore. He really goes to uh, great lengths to be as as even handed as possible. And it's and it still has a point of view. But it's it's a it's a good doc. So I I do have to recommend it. And then I uh, also want to uh, put a little shout-out for Finding Oscar, which came from the Kennedy Marshall Company and the USC Shoah Foundation. Um, this is an absolutely wonderful doc. It was at a number of festivals, including Telluride. And uh, it deals with the uh, Guatemalan Civil War and um, this one young boy who survived it and was mm. raised by a soldier that had, was responsible for basically killing his family. It's mm. an unbelievable story. Um, I, full disclosure, I have a vested interest in this. Uh, the co-producer and editor of this was uh, Martin Singer, mm. who was a very, very good friend. I was a little boy who was just about uh, my daughter's age. I've known Martin for, for years and years and years and years. Um, wonderful guy, amazing editor, and he was so proud of this, and we're so proud of him. Uh, Finding Oscar, beautiful, beautiful movie. Mm. Uh, I got a couple over here, PBS, uh, Blu-rays, Sex, Lies, and Butterflies. This was wonderful. I saw this when it was actually on. Um, uh, for one thing, there has been a sort of horrible butterfly die-off in, yeah. in recent years. It almost yeah, rivals that, that bumblebee die-off yeah, yeah. they had that they associated. It's very, very strange, and it's, it's not like it was. Certainly, the existence of butterflies just everywhere in the spring and summer, like when we were children, uh, when I was children growing up in the Midwest, I mean, butterflies were this thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that sort of went away. Anyway, this wonderful little film explores the, uh, the life of butterflies. Uh, over 20,000 different species in, inhabit uh, the globe in, in butterflies. You find stuff out like that in this yeah. neat thing. And they use this very particular little micro-photography, um, yeah, macro-photography, I should say, so they can just zoom in so close, and it's ultra-high speed, so that you can see the wings flapping. It's just really, really astounding stuff. Narrated by Paul Giamatti, it's, uh, it's, it's really neat, and I think it's the kind of thing that certainly when I was a kid, I would have loved this. I loved this kind of stuff when I was coming up. So I recommend it for everybody, but I recommend it that you show it to your kids and get them interested in butterflies. Uh, that whole that whole little process, ig, caterpillar, chrysalis, yeah. but yeah. I remember that whole thing. That whole me thing too. still, still blows too. me away. It's unique in all of nature. On uh, all of, yeah. It's a great metaphor, too. That, that pattern there. Yeah. Uh, Prediction by the Numbers, another neat one from PBS's Nova series. Um, 
uh, with the power of computers uh, that are able to uh, analyze numbers and run algorithms and, 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 and uh, everything today to figure out what these numbers mean in casino, in, at casinos and in baseball yeah. and in uh, everything. Almost everything has to st a statistical number of its likeliness connected to it. And that's what this doc is about. It's about how numbers and prediction and powerful computers are coming together to allow us to almost predict the future. It's really, really, really interesting. What's Jeez. most interesting about it is how often, how good we can be at this, yeah. and then how wrong it can be. You know, there's a, there's a big old long piece. How old is Henry Kissinger now? Got to be 80, middle 80s. If not, not yet, ninety, maybe ninety. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, Henry Kissinger, dude's sharp, man. Yeah. He's not just playing golf and drooling on himself. Uh, he wrote a big old long piece in the Atlantic about the uh, you know the threat of AI and how we aren't really thinking through the way we use artificial intelligence because it can't make certain value judgments and it can't sort of assess the intangibles that are part of human experience. It is an, it is a huge, fascinating, cautionary uh, article. But basically, I'll save you a lot of time. It whittles down to this. Uh, you're screwed. Hal's going to eat you. That's it. <laughs> Stephen Hawking, before he died, you're, you're uh, had a few warnings about, yeah, about Hal, too. It's all going to be Hal and Skynet, and we're screwed. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Which, they're, they're you know, Terminators and whatnot. I, I watched that episode of uh, Star Trek Next, Next Generation last yeah. night, the one very early on in the series where uh, Data is challenged yeah. to, as to whether or not he's actually, and they want to take him apart. They <laughs> right. the and they, I love that they clean that up really early in the series. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's, it, so here's what I want to do. I want to get uh, <laughs> the, I want to get a, the Apple Siri deal. You know, their little, oh, yeah. uh, your little internet thing, Siri, the standalone Siri. I want to get Siri sitting there right next to the Google thing, right next to <laughs> Alexa. Alexa. Yeah. And I want to get them talking to each other and giving each other commands so that it becomes a total loop, and <laughs> never stops. I want to see where that goes. A friend of ours said, don't do that. That's how Skynet happens. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to see. I want to see if I could do that. I want to see if I could get Siri saying, uh, Alexa, what time does Google have? Uh, Google, Cortana. Cortana. Ask, ask Google. Ask Alexa. Ask Siri. Ask Google. Ask Alexa. Ask Siri. <laughs> ask Google. I, I just want to, I want to see if I can get that somehow going in a loop. I'd like to see if you can get them to disagree. <laughs> on, on whatever time it is with the temperatures and no no come home one day they're all arguing <laughs> no it is not come home the next day they're making threats <laughs> uh i got a couple here from uh there are a couple of world war ii uh, great escape at dunkirk which is part of nova mm. and uh on the, we, on the heels of the year with all the wonderful dun dunkirk movies uh, a ton of dunkirk movies uh <coughs> excuse me oh tom petty Anyway, Tom Petty. Yeah, that's, that's from that's from a thought from about yeah. five minutes ago. Never, yeah, okay. never mind. Caught up with yourself. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this is interesting because this involves they they went to this isn't just sort of rehashing known history. There are a lot of recently, formerly sealed and classified files that the UK government only recently released, and uh, which changes a lot of the the the, the stuff about uh, uh, what happened at Dunkirk. And there's a lot of, you know, stuff that isn't very flattering about how the British handled it. There's a lot of sloppy stuff. The Air Force screwed up. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff that undermines the mythical miracle of Dunkirk. Mm. And it's really interesting. They even, you know, there, there's a there's a spitfire, a crash spitfire. They go and they excavate that, uh, that site where the crash was. It's really, really interesting revisiting this. It's not just uh, old history. They actually make it fresh again. It's a terrific episode. And then Naples 44, narrated by Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, directed by Francesco Paterno. 
Um, you know, Naples is the history of Naples is is a legendary one. World War Two. Uh, it's, it, you know, the American Fifth Army arrived in Naples in 1943 after, you know, uh, invading at Anzio and Patton was part of all that. And that was part of the, the you know, the, the, uh, the push yeah. from the south part of Europe coming up into Europe that was uh, sort of uh, the other part of the invasion other than D-Day. And we don't often talk about uh, enough about that, but it's uh, this is a really really interesting documentary, and uh, it centers primarily on Norman Lewis, a uh, British officer in 1943, who was there with the American Fifth Army and wrote down a rather extensive uh, diary of mm. all of these events. And so that in voiceover is folded over a lot of footage that is uh, like archival war footage and then even movie clips from uh, movies of the era from the 50s and 60s. And it all comes together in a really, really interesting kind of collage. It's, uh, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Um, it really is. It's, it's very, very powerful. It really contextualizes the era in a very meaningful way. Mm. I've got a couple. All right. One um, which was executive produced, reported by, narrated by, and stars Anne Curry. Anne Curry, whom we know, of course, uh, as related to some of the crazy things that went on over. Where was that? Was that NBC? Uh, yes. And Matt NBC Lauer and, and Matt all, Lauer that kind of and all stuff. that stuff. And, uh, she got screwed. I was so oh, mad. Yeah, yeah. I never watched the show after she was gone. It was, um, for one thing, she's an extraordinary reporter, mm -hmm. uh, yep. as is evident in this. Uh, wonderful PBS documentary called "We'll Meet Again." Um, what 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 this basically does is uh, find people who came together in extraordinary circumstances, almost always many many years ago, but some more recent, uh, had these extremely intense encounters. Very often, uh, where they became friends. Very often, where one saved the other, or they saved each other. And then, of course, uh, you know they were separated by time and space, and and have been for many years. Yet they never lost a, a desire to reconnect with that person who engaged in this sort of life-changing mm -hmm. event with them. Uh, one of them, children of World War II, a Japanese-American woman uh, uh, who, was, who was sent to an internment camp as a child, hopes to find uh, a school friend who stood up for her uh, and, uh, when she was ripped away uh, from the bosom of, uh, of the community. Um, um, and you know, it's just an amazing, an amazing thing. Um, rescued from Mount St. Helens, uh, a woman uh, named Mindy searches uh, for the scientist's family to tell them how uh, they saved her life when Mount St. Helens exploded back in 1980. This is wow. interesting, given that the you know, over yeah. in Hawaii, Kilauea yeah. is, is going and, nuts and, right now. And Vesuvius is a part of the Naples dock. As a part of the, yeah, it's yeah. really an interesting thing. I was in 1980, Mount St. Helens, I was still in the Air Force when, when that went off, and we were flying recon missions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in AWACS uh, 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 jets uh, over um, the, the Northwest to measure the height of that cloud. It was an interesting period. Heroes of 9/11, same thing. Uh, uh, Patrick searches for a, a stranger who comforted him during disasters. Just a beautiful moment. Freedom Summer goes all the way back to a to a young woman who encountered a, a, a lot of racism at that point, but she found a, a a friend named Sherry who protected her during that summer. Coming out, that one's about a young man who came out and a friend. So each one of these stories uh, are about people who found support uh, in, in extremely tragic circumstances or difficult circumstances from somebody else. It's just a wonderful, wonderful documentary from PBS, executive produced by Ann Curry. Uh, really neat. The Day the Dinosaurs Died, also from PBS's Nova series. This is fantastic. 66 million years ago, a gigantic asteroid collided with the Earth, seven miles wide. This we know. 
We think that that asteroid probably began uh, the death kneel for the dinosaurs. Probably. Do we know it was not a spaceship? Uh, we, unless the spaceship was inside the asteroid, okay. which, All of right. course, you know, they do. They will do that. Yeah. Um, but but these guys, this is fantastic because uh, they've, they've gone back and they've, with technology we have today, we can look mm. and we can literally say that's a chunk of that asteroid yeah. from 66 million years ago. They can actually do that sort of. Uh, incredible. It's, it's incredible. And, they can, they, and they're starting to figure out exactly what happened. What's interesting about this doc is there is as much relevant stuff in New Jersey, like like at the Turnpike, yeah. with respect to that, <laughs> as there is in Patagonia. That's amazing. So you dig, so mm-hmm. they're digging a hole, you know, to build a tunnel under the yeah. Turnpike, and they find stuff that's relevant to the science, and they're Unreal. in Patagonia, and they find some, some neat stuff there. Um, I watched this when it was on um, Army in America, the untold story, the untold history. Of U.S. gun culture, this this basically is a it's, it's a neat sort of historical documentary. It is um, uh, supported by the NRA, so it has a particular it point has of view. Their point of view, it sure. has that point of view, but but then it's also sort of just sort of factual information about the people, uh, the men mostly, who began the gun culture in America: Samuel Colt, Oliver Winchester, uh, 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 Remington, Horace Smith, and Daniel Wesson. Uh, you know, the, these are the people. Lots of guns in here. A uh, little, you know, they 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 go out and create some uh, scenes and whatnot, and then they have some historical footage, and they go into all of the military hardware, uh, and it just sort of speaks to. Uh, look, the very front of this is red, white, and blue, and it has a guy in a, in a sort of a Civil War, uh, uh, not Civil War, but the uh, um, uh, American Revolution outfit. So they're making a very particular connection between arms and uh, the American Revolution and the freedom of America. So there's a point of view here, but there's all a fact in history, too. So, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> a bunch of uh, really interesting kind of fringy docs. Divine Divas uh, from Film Rise is all about, uh, I don't want to call them drag queens, because it, because we associate drag queens as a very specific kind of performance yeah, art of in America. Paulie sort of performance. It's, gl- yeah. it's just super glam and super ostentatious and, and gaudy. Uh, and that's not quite what it was in uh, the 1960s in Brazil. In Brazil, it was a much more serious thing. It's, it, you know, these are, these are transvestites. Yeah. And they are performing, but they're not doing that really gaudy American thing that has kind of become sort of ca- high camp. This yeah. is this is quite serious. And it's a really interesting history of that, Divine Divas, uh, by Leandro Leal. And then we also have It's Not Yet Dark, which is unbelievably inspiring. Colin Farrell uh, narrates this story, which is sort of like a My Left Foot story, except it's not about a, a, a you know an artist. It's about a, a filmmaker. And um, Simon Fitzmaurice is a is a, an Irish filmmaker who has Lou Gehrig's disease, and is 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 going on is basically directing a film, which wound up being the 2015 film My Name Is Emily, um, which I've heard of, I've not seen it. Leslie Mann, uh, uh, sorry, not Leslie Mann, Leslie McKim and Kathleen uh, Catherine Kennedy produced this, and um, it is uh, it's really really extraordinarily powerful. Uh, it, it, it even in Involves like how he uses his eyes, and yeah. there's a technology. At, at the end of the day, it's really sort of a love story. It's incredible. Yeah, it's just incredible. Um, Extraordinary ordinary people is a uh, first run features doc, which is exactly what it says. Uh, it just covers all of these really interesting and, and different people from all these different backgrounds and nationalities and, and walks of life, and uh, it's it winds up being sort of a uh, a tapestry. Uh, of people who are are who are all brought together exclusively through the National Endowment for the Arts, 
and that how that sort of represents this nexus of um, of of sort of uh, just extraordinary achievement that that doesn't really look at who you where you come from or what kind of person you are just looks purely at the achievement and the individual artist that created it. It's, it's quite uh, quite inspiring as well. And then the secret life of Lance Letcher, L E T S C H E R. Um, this is directed by Sandra Adair. And uh, I was not familiar with Lance Letcher. I, you know, um, artist documentaries kind of go far and wide these days. And uh, he apparently is this guy from Austin who does collage work. And it's really complex and intricate and fascinating collage work. And this is just a look at his life and his work and his inspiration and his process. And it's a little, it's a little bit unfocused at times. It kind of goes far and wide to try to keep, you know, wrap its arms around everything. But it's, you know, if you like artist documentaries, it's so fascinating. It's such an interesting look in, at his work. It could be so cool. Um, I remember this 1991 uh, documentary, Door Stay, A Sentimental Journey. I remember this from 1991, yeah. actually. Uh, and it really, really is uh, a wonderful documentary. Uh, legendary singer and actress Doris Day, who entered uh, the business in nineteen in the nineteen forties. I think Michael Curtiz, I think, gave her yeah. the first part uh, in the film. And this uh, this doc simply just walks through her absolutely extraordinary, kind of exciting, yeah. interesting life. Um, Doris Day had a uh, little interesting moment where she was hanging out with Sly Stone, <laughs> like the, in can, like the late seventies. I can totally see that, and I could see it too, I frankly, because Doris that. Day was fine as hell. Yeah, uh, you know, we had a really interesting moment with Doris Day a couple of years ago. The uh, Lafka, the Lafka thing yeah. with, the, with the whole thing and the, yeah. with the Skype. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's an impossible moment to actually uh, describe. describe. So yeah. I won't even try. But it's neat. Bonus features here include a nineteen seventy six interview with Doris on the Mer Griffin show uh an episode of the doris day show which i love it still comes on channel on the decades uh channel 2.2 uh, those shows the colors are so rich and saturated because they were using that film um that film vision process back in the in the in the in the late 60s yeah all those reds and greens and blues dude i can i just watched all that a family affair uh, all of those little, like, yeah. the, the colors are just amazing. Um, uh, plus, there is a 1968 collection of Doris Day movie uh, trailers. Neat, neat, neat stuff. Doris Day, A Sentimental Journey. Um, Spying on the Royals is a neat uh, show, um, a neat series, more or less, about uh, the Edward VII uh, and Wallace Simpson that uh, whole period. mess. That whole mess that went down yeah. there, which is so interesting because here as we sit here now, yeah. I think about now, they're married now. Are they married now? Oh, Would they today? be married now? Was it's it today? today? I mean, you know, because it's several hours ahead. Yeah. So, so maybe it's later tonight. I don't know yeah. exactly. But if they're not married now, they will be in a couple hours. Of course, we're talking about Harry and Meghan. Yeah. Uh, when when I got married years ago, <laughs> the day two days before we got married, uh, Diana and Charles got married. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the coolest thing, you know. Yeah. So I was like, you haven't had. I remembered it was, well. It's the most wonderful thing. Anyway, uh, this is about that. The secret fi uh, files that shed new light on their whole sort of scandalous yeah. romance. A romance now that wouldn't be scandalous at all, and nobody would need to spy on it. Nobody would care. Yeah. You, remember, you remember when uh, Prince Andrew was dating Kusark, the uh, <laughs> the uh, the porn star? <laughs> that that kind of opened the floodgates, and uh, I, I think nobody cares. Uh, uh, I got a couple here from Icarus. Uh, they they are timed to coincide with what is recently the. 200th anniversary of Karl Marx's birth. Um, which, well, that's important. 
Well, you know, uh, here and, and here's the thing: it's a everyone's getting a little bit whitewashy about Karl Marx. Yeah. Like, forget about how many countries murdered their citizens in his name, and forget about all the things that he wrote about race and yeah. women, which are horrible, by the way. Uh, everyone likes trying to pretend like, no, he just loved poor people. Yeah, and he he hated black people, yeah. and he hated Jews, even though he was a Jew. And he, yeah, Karl Marx was a dick. He hated women. And yeah, he was he was a and, dick. and worse, he was wrong. And <laughs> yeah, it's so, even worse. He was a dick, and he was incorrect. <laughs> in any case, uh, these are nonetheless interesting, although biased. But there's a, there is interesting docu- uh, material in here. Now, Marx Reloaded by Jason Barker is kind of straight-up propaganda. Uh, it's just kind of trying to whitewash him, and he even has little cartoons that are, that are quite silly. Cannot necessarily recommend this. Uh, the short film Marx for Beginners is, is not that. But the six-part Elon Ziv series, Capitalism, is a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fair. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it gets capitalism like Michael Moore. It gets it wrong. It doesn't really, you know, I, I, had, a, I had some pretty great professors, uh, economics professors at UCLA. And uh, so I have a bit of a background in this, and it gets it completely wrong on many levels. However, episode one on Adam Smith, and uh, episode five, Keynes versus Hayek, yeah, have some interesting things in there. Uh, Friedrich Hayek, of course, was the was the foil to John Maynard Keynes back in the nineteen thirties. Chicago School, that Chicago Friedman, School, Friedman, yeah. Friedman. So, so that 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 gets into a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, they in, they interview a lot of people who have no business actually saying anything here, but um, <laughs> none, but nonetheless, there is some interesting information that should be a launching point for further information and study and discovery. So, there's that. All right. Now we're going to get into uh, the, the the good stuff. New movies. We've taken, we've taken long enough. But first, I'm going to talk about three new 4Ks, two of which we got to give away for people. Uh, Paramount continues to be absolutely awesome these days. We are going to give away two copies apiece, two copies apiece mm. of a 4K Ultra HD of Braveheart and Gladiator. We ought to call this the manly movie giveaway. This is the manly movie giveaway. Get us an email. Uh, no later than the 25th, Friday the 25th. Make sure it's date stamped then. And just uh, put Braveheart in the subject line uh, of, of one or put Gladiator in the subject line of the other. Very simple, the title of the movie. Uh, send it to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and include your name and address in the body of the email. And uh, over the weekend, we will select... Four very lucky people, two apiece for Braveheart and Gladiator to receive these 4K Ultra HD releases. Let me just say this. These are amazing, mm. amazing 4Ks. Uh, the, 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 it's just it's like watching the movie all over again. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning, especially uh, Gladiator. Braveheart, you know, uh, I, I'm less fond of Braveheart these days as a movie. I kind of see the seams in it. Mm. You know, I kind of start to see some of the some of his dumb sense of humor and some of the things that Mel did then that we weren't fully keen to. I think everyone wanted him to succeed. For, well, you know, now movies eventually come be, become things that existed within the context of a canon. Yeah. And you know, we we saw these movies day one back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and now I cannot help but look at them in the context of a canon. I yeah, uh, that's true. And uh, and you know, and then all I can really do is move <laughs> it around in the canon and figure out where it goes. It's no, um, it's no uh, passion of, of, of the Christ. True. Um, uh, Gladiator, though, let me say, getting back to Russell Crowe, who we were talking about earlier. So I did the, uh, I did the press day for Gladiator. Ah, yeah. And the, uh, the, they had a SAG press line that Crowe had to make that evening, like right after the press day. They had to move him right on over to, to, the SAG, to the SAG red carpet. 
And uh, so they combined two rooms. The other, the other table, they're like, we can't have him go through two more rooms. You know, he's, we got to push it. So here we are in our room with our table, and like 15 people come in, and we all pack around this table because we yeah. got one more table to do with Russell Crowe. And what does Russ do? He spends twice as long in the room and drives <laughs> the publicist crazy because he didn't want to do the SAG press line. He anyway. blew it off. Yeah. He blew it off, and you could see them. They're coming in. They're checking their watches. They're tapping him on the shoulder. He's giving them dirty looks like, I don't care. I'm <laughs> Russell Crowe, <laughs> and I'm going to do what I want. Uh. And uh, here's the thing. I've only, I've only ever seen three people completely take over a room, and Russell Crowe is one of them. Mm. Schwarzenegger and Will Smith are the other two, mm. and they all do it in a different way. Yeah. Will Smith comes in. And he's your buddy. He's your best friend. He's known you forever. He puts his hand on your shoulder, on your elbow. He laughs. He joshes with you. He is the sweetest guy. You've known him your whole life. He's the nicest man on the earth. Uh, Schwarzenegger comes in, and he's intimidating, but he's jokey. Yeah. He makes fun of you, but in a really fun way. He's like, we're, like, we, like we're buddies from the gym. <laughs> or you're not working hard enough, you girly man, right? It's <laughs> yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe comes in. And he just, he is just mean. He just, <laughs> he just, he just hate loves everybody in the room. And, and uh, eventually he is so cruel to you that Stockholm Syndrome sets in. And you just think, uh, I just want to be, I just want you to abuse me forever. Just keep abusing <laughs> me. Keep insulting me. Keep being mean and cruel and horrible to me. Um, and it eventually becomes very funny. But he's just, funny. he's so intimidating. He just, he walks in and he just hate loves the room. That's it. That's a, it's all uh, about hate uh, love. Uh, uh, Will Smith. Super quick. Yeah. Uh, I'm interviewing Will Smith for a movie called Seven Pounds. Nicest guy in the world, right? Wonderful. And I mean, I mean, I've man. talked to Will a you know, yeah. hundred times by then anyway. Yeah. He's a nice guy. So I'll sit down with Will. I'll say, Will, yo, Will, my mama told me that she talked to you yesterday in St. Louis. <laughs> and a mom. My mom lives in St. Louis. You know, I'm like, I just, she told me to tell you, hey, anyway, I know she's just tripping, but, you know, I just want to, my mom told me, she says, your mama's name Alma? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. I talked to her yesterday in St. Louis. I was in St. That's Louis in this great. ball doing a thing. I read it to your mama. She told me that she that I was going to be talking to you today. And so she, anyway, hey. And I'm like, this is just absolutely bizarre. But he actually knew my mom's name and had talked to her the previous day. Uh, that's why he's great. That's so why he's Will Smith, Gladiator, and Braveheart, two of the best 4Ks you will see out there. And here's another one I'm going to recommend. High, 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 high is Fox's release of Die Hard, 30th anniversary on 4K. Uh, looks fantastic. All these things have, all the, it's all the original extras. There's nothing new here particularly other than the 4K transfer. So it's the same, you know, commentaries and, uh, and featurettes and all that stuff's the same. If you have these, you're double dipping exclusively for the new transfer of the film in 4K. And Die Hard, my gosh, what audio this thing has. It just, it just kicks and screams and uh, yippee-ki-yay all over the place. Um, so that everybody understands, Paramount is still with Ultraviolet. So you're going to get iTunes and Ultraviolet on the, uh, the Braveheart and uh, Gladiator. You're going to get movies anywhere because of Fox on Die Hard. So as far as your digital goes, you're still we're still we're not all entirely on movies anywhere. I wish Paramount would get their act together. Come on over, come yeah. on over to, to movies anywhere, please. Paramount has all kinds of issues. 
They got to get onto movies anywhere. Everybody else is. Come yeah. on, join the game. Yeah, Paramount might not. They might not even be a viable movie making company in a couple I know, of years, that's if, what I'm depending on of. what happens with yeah, uh, uh, you know, the guys over there. Uh, knocking off a few uh, yeah. newbies. Uh, Chris Hemsworth's uh, Twelve Strong. Uh, you know, interesting movie about a you know, sort of loosely a true story about uh, these soldiers who went into Afghanistan right after 9/11. Yep, uh, and they had to convince this uh, Northern Alliance general. Uh, uh, to help them, uh, uh, you know, take out a whole. The, the, the problem was the only way that they could get to where they were going was on horses. As right. it happens, the character that Chris is playing, based on a real guy, uh, was a Texan and knew a whole lot about horses. Yeah. So he trained up his troop and they mounted on some horses and they wanted to battle on horseback. And you know, it's a loosely true story and kind of interesting. And uh, you know, this is a hell of a cast. I wasn't particularly nuts about the movie uh, at the time, but I can see how a lot of people would be. Anyway, Twelve Strong. Uh, on Blu-ray, all kinds of neat special features here, including the making of The Impossible Mission, 12 Strong, and some commentary tracks and whatnot uh, there. Sally Potter's film, like Sally Potter, usually. Yeah. You, you know, She's usually. fringy. She's fringy, yeah. but yeah. Uh, uh, this one did not quite get me the party. You know, it's uh, it's meant to be a satire. It's a dark satire, that's for sure. It's about a party that's being held. Uh, all, all kinds of people we know there uh, uh, centering around Timothy Spall and uh, you have Celia Murphy and, and, and Kristen Scott Thomas and then Patricia Clarkson and Emily Mordmore and all of these people. And there's uh, it's interesting because it's, a lot of it is about politics, about British politics, right? Uh, somebody has just been elected to the House of Commons or something like that, and they're there to celebrate that. While at the same time, all kinds of relationships uh, things are going on. But it's the politics that they talk about that got kind of interesting. They talk about the British healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and and one of the folks in the room is actually quite quite ill in the context of the story. So you know, uh, neat to a certain extent. Black and white. Sally Potter film. Uh, the party. Special features uh, include a making of the film. An onset. The making of the film. There. Very nice. Uh, where shall we go? Well, we also have Early Man, the new Nick Park film, his mm. first feature-length film since the Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Weir Rabbit movie. And before that was Chicken Run. So this is uh, Nick Park's third feature-length film. I love this. Took my daughter. We had so much fun with this. Um, Early Man is hilarious. As long as you're talking about the dinosaurs earlier, this is all about cavemen in this one little enclave who discover that the Bronze Age is rising up around them. Yeah. It's going to intrude on their little Stone Age paradise. And the only way that they can keep the uh, the big evil uh, Bronze Age dictator man at bay is by... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Mm. Uh, is by winning a, a soccer game, which is the new thing. And it's sort of like the the origins of soccer. The it's the, it's it's basically bad news bears. Yeah. Except it's soccer in the in the in the Bronze Age with you know cavemen. It's so cute. It's so fun. It's so funny. It's so cleverly done. It's such good stop motion animation, and it has a bunch of great features. If you had on to it. put it in, if you had to lay it out, and you know, your Chicken Run. Yeah. How how would you lay it out? Where does it fall? Uh, you know, I still think Chicken Run is his best film. I think this is on par with Curse of the Weir Rabbit. Okay. Yeah, I think it's on par. And and you know what he does with stop motion blows my mind. I do not know how he does some of this stuff. It is really, really, uh, you know, CGI. We get it. It's on a computer, and you just do what you want. But when you when you're dealing with clay and and actual physical things, and there's all of this stuff with volcanoes and dinosaurs and and balls in the air and and in slow motion things and and characters slide. It just I don't know how he does it. It's you amazing. know what I like. I like it's it when you, I like it when you can see the 
the thumbprints thumb and the, yeah. the, the, the defense. Yeah. And it's just, that's just extraordinary it's to me. It's beautiful. Uh, give me that over. Early man and some great featurettes. And Nick Park's a really shy guy. So getting him to do these featurettes is, is quite, a, quite a feat, too. Uh, a couple more newbies here. Desolation. This is a pretty scary film. It's a film about a, a young woman who has a son, and her husband passes away suddenly, and uh, you know and, and they're all in distress, and and he wants to have his ashes spread out in, right. in 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 the woods. So she and her best friend, and the son, go out there to do that. And this guy, this really really scary sort of uh, a guy in glasses, just starts stalking them. And it is just a creepy heck of a Blu-ray, heck of a movie that works pretty damn well, and I can recommend it. What I will not recommend, however, is uh, Jennifer Lawrence's last most recent movie, Red Sparrow. Uh, man, this was a big old movie that she wanted to do in a very specific way. Uh, you know, it has, has her first really sort of big sexy scene in it. Um, this movie just did not work at all, at all, at all, which is interesting because her previous movie to this one was Mother, uh, which she did, of course, with Darren Aronofsky, uh, and that movie did not work at all, at all, at all. So, so Jen is fortunate. Yeah, she's decided to take a break. Yeah. Good move, sis. Take a yeah. break because uh, uh, bad choice here for a whole bunch of different reasons. Anyway, this is a, a 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray, two disc set, all kinds of special features, which is good because you're going to have way more fun watching and listening to those than you are dealing with this movie. So if your Movies Anywhere account has a little hole in it and you think, I really need to plug that hole with a stupid movie. I don't want a good movie to add there. I need to add a stupid movie to my Movies Anywhere account. Then I would recommend Daphne and Velma, the original <laughs> movie uh, from Warner Brothers, which is just the dumbest thing ever. So apparently, before all the Scooby-Doo stuff happened, before we ha actually had Scooby-Doo, before we had Shaggy, uh, before the gang got together in the Mystery Mobile and all that nonsense... Um, apparently Daphne and Velma were uh, best friends in high school and had to solve the, this like weird like neo quasi soft zombie phenomenon where kids are disappearing and it's a whole silly thing. Mm. Um, this is just nonsense. It's an attempt to somehow keep exploiting Scooby Doo as a live action franchise, and it. I had fun with Sarah Michelle Gellar yeah, and Linda Cardellini and and uh, what's his name? Yeah, running around in those perfectly ludicrous movies. You know, I have issues with yeah with with, with the animals with the yeah and stuff like that. But Linda Cardellini in a jumpsuit was kind of yeah. I agree. Fabulous, I love Linda Cardellini. Well, she's not in this. These yeah. are these are actresses I've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I can't I can't recommend this. Sarah Gill and Sarah Jeffrey, uh, just you know what's down. funny? It would be way more fun if they had one out and got Sarah Michelle Gellar and Linda Carlisle. Sure. I, I think they're all like 40, 45 now. Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, <laughs> keep put them back in that machine. Let them and, and then uh, the fifteen seventeen to Paris from the director of American Sniper. Mm. That's how they from the director of American Sniper, as opposed to Clint Eastwood. Just really, is that where we are? Are we are we now plugging this for audiences that are so I think clueless? They're they afraid that the younger audience wouldn't know his who Whatever. that is. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, you can put this on your Movies Anywhere account as well. Here's the thing. This is all about those uh, those Americans who stopped that terrorist attack on the train in mm. France. Uh, the, um, the novelty here is one that has been done before on a few occasions. We've had people who play themselves in movies. Jackie Robinson played himself in mm -hmm. the Jackie Robinson story. Muhammad uh, Ali. Yeah, I mean, in The Greatest. Sure, yeah. we've, we've, had, we've had people who have... Uh, who who played themselves? Uh, what's his face? The uh, the World War Two. Uh, uh, oh, uh, with the Artie with the with the with the hooks for hands. Uh, no, no, no. The the uh, won the uh, won, won the Medal of Honor. Won the, the Medal of Honor. With, with the, yeah. yeah, with the with the for the shooting. Sergeant, played, played, yeah. played himself in a movie. So the three guys actually play themselves in this movie. 
One of them is really good yeah. because he's a media guy now. He hosts a, a TV show. Another one is fine. And the third guy is terrible at playing himself. Mm. Really uneven. That's what dis- detracts a and little bit. And that's why we have acting schools, folks. Yes. Yeah. And actors. So it's a novelty. It doesn't quite work. But I will tell you this. And even though this is a little, it has a little bit of the Sully problem mm. that, that where it's, it's about an event that you can't really conflate into or, or inflate into a movie. Uh, so you have to build an, a, a kind of a narrative around it with flashbacks and the backstories and all these people. And the narrative that's built around the event doesn't really justify the buildup. But when you get to the event itself, mm. that 88-year-old Clint Eastwood directs the hell out of it. He can keep it moving. Man, it is just – it is – like if, if this had just been a short film on the event itself, on the train, I, I would just say bravo. That mm-hmm. is virtuoso filmmaking. It is – I mean – once he gets there, he just kills it. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. One of those kind of things. One of those kind of things. Uh, from from the producers of Harry Potter is the way they yeah. they, they named this. Was, anyway, Zoe Saldana, Madison Wolf, I Kill Giants from producers of Harry Potter. This should have been better than it was in the same way that Ava DuVernay's Wrinkle in Time should have been better than it was. Yeah. Uh, but it just not quite come together. Uh, it's about a little girl uh, who lives in, a, in, in something of a fantasy world uh, most of the time, and her, her parents don't get her, and she doesn't have any friends. And in this fantasy world, she does, in fact, uh, kill giants. Anyway, uh, doesn't quite work. Uh, special features to making of uh, I Kill Giants, uh, which is uh, an adaptation of a graphic novel, by the way. Got it. Uh, so, you know, anyway, uh, right. what are you going to do? All right. Well, we are done for this week, and uh, we send you off on your own. Have a great time next week, and uh, we'll be back. Mm-hmm.